you put statistics on this, Phil? Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance of four. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Joining me as ever are my two co-hosts. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? It's Callum Goodall. Craig Dawson is the best on earth. It's Jack Elderton. Good evening, folks. Uh, we've got two games to look back on, uh, but which is more exciting? Is it a 1-1 draw at home to Burnley or nil trois in Lyon and some mad bastards in a European semi-final? Um, we're back at it again. So if you'd like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to any of the following. The email address, which is podcast at kumb.com, uh, the forum thread at kumb.com. And you can now tweet the podcast directly as we still have one of those Twitter things. We are at KUMB pod. Um, go to Leon first, I think, maybe. Go for that Absolutely. interesting thing that people care about. Um, yeah. Oh, what a night, Cal. I mean, what a night, Cal. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, it was unreal. Uh, only slightly ruined by the fact that I spent about the first five minutes walking around Hernhill looking for a pub that had BT Sport to find that all four of the ones I went in didn't have it. So then had to quickly walk home to put BT Sport on on my telly and watch it in the comfort of my living room. <laughs> so I didn't quite get any uh, atmosphere. It was just me and my friend sat on the sofa uh, with a few cans. But yeah, it was still good. And uh, the result and the performance made uh, made its own atmosphere, if you will. I, I was getting very, very excited. Um, and it's hard not to when, when you head into a semi-final. And I suppose it was in the moment made even more exciting by the constant flashes of Barcelona are losing. I was like, oh my God, it's, kind of, it's written in the stars. It's all falling into place. Uh, but yeah, I mean, easy to get ahead of ourselves. It's great to get another segment of Cal Slate's London as well, which we haven't had for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about you? Hey, I love it. I love it down here. I love it down here. <laughs> Well, it was great, wasn't it? I mean, I, I just really, I was... Really sad that I couldn't go to the first leg, um, but more than made up for by such an exceptional performance, really. A um, little bit worrying for the first uh, 25 minutes, um, but after that, um, we had so much control and it was so comfortable for long sections that um, there's a combination of sort of uh, being overwhelmed and slightly confused by how comfortable it was and, and then celebrating the fact that we were 2-0 up um, or 3-0 up in Lyon. Yeah, it was. It was that there was. I mean, for me, the pessimist. I still wasn't really particularly confident until about the 80th minute. My dad had basically taken his slippers and shoes off and was sitting there like, "Take, make subs. We're done." But uh, not me. Not this guy. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't quite have the most optimistic view on anything ever. So that for me was a a big deal. Um, it's, I mean, there are parallels. Is it 1976? I believe was it East Cup Winners' Cup semi-finals against Frankfurt, um, which means I. F- think that we should expect a draw at home or maybe a defeat i think we won the away leg uh convincingly to put us through to the final um not that i was i wasn't alive in 1976 i know you two are young but i just want to <laughs> yeah. that one down. um what what was different about this second leg um about the performance and what we did and what they did uh cal that made this so much easier in the end anyway um I think, well, Jack's more qualified to go into the deep dive of the tactics. But for me, at least from what I could see, and it's sort of backed up by the numbers, it wasn't so much drastic changes. Uh, it was more subtle tweaks based on what we'd 
seen um, from the first leg. But largely, uh, it was kind of taking away what went well for us in the first leg and just doing it better. Uh, so I think one one obvious takeaway from the first leg was that they were very weak aerially. Uh, and then, so it's no surprise to see that in the second leg, we doubled our um, number of crosses, trying to dominate in the air. And our success rate went from 16% to 50% uh, on crosses. And I suppose that coincides with the introduction, uh, with the role that Sufal played in the second leg um, and that right back position. Uh, and then the second one was the gaps that they love to leave behind, um, which to me is just ludicrous, really, because you think if we if we pick these things out as weaknesses and look to exploit them, you'd think on the flip side, they could highlight them as weaknesses and look to fix them. But they just don't seem to want to do it. They're so dogmatically committed to this philosophy that Peter Bosch has. Um, but it works in our favour. And uh, yeah, our, our counter attacking uh, our effectiveness on the counter uh, went up drastically as well. I think it was 75 percent of our counters ended in shots, um, one of which was obviously Bowen's goal uh, with that lovely pass actually line breaking pass just straight through and as soon as Bowen's running down on goal I had every confidence that he would uh, put the ball in the back of the net and I think that was probably my favourite of the three celebrations because at that point you could see on the faces of the players they were like we've actually done it boys <laughs> the first two I think there was still a bit it was passion but it was like right come on let's not get complacent and Bowen was just like just going nuts to the Bowen fans looks, it was brilliant looks like he doesn't quite he's like what what what? Yeah, that was it. He was like, he's "We've done like, it." Kind of like, <laughs> as if he's waiting for someone to go. No, no, no. You're not allowed to get three goals here, mate. Go back. Calm down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those. Were, oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say those. Those were the two main ones from the numbers, and then it was just other slight things like a ten percent up mark in the accuracy of our passing, and just doing small things but doing them better, which I guess probably comes with the occasion as well. I think everyone looked up for it, and you sort of do get those marginal gains, which end up um, resulting in massive gains at the end of the match. I mean, because we we talked last week, and we we'd certainly talked about even when we were discussing our own teams about how we we knew Lanzini would come in, even if we felt that there was Ben Rama possible benefit down the left. I don't. It didn't feel like we went long as much. We didn't feel like we had the same striking success from going long. If we did, but we we obviously countered and, and were more effective. So we found the weaknesses in different ways. I and mean, did Lanzini make a difference in that, Jack? In that kind of inclusion in the middle, or no I think of course I mean he 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 always brings that additional quality on the ball um to to our midfield but I think really if 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 I was going to focus on the main thing that I think changed was adding Lanzini into into that position really changes the way we press uh, I've talked at length on this podcast before about how when you play Fornals and Antonio together they're very effective high pressing duo um and when you play Lanzini and Antonio together you get a very different um slightly more conservative approach which um sort of uh, screens the ball from coming into midfield and then also then gone on to talk about how with Ben Rama Antonio, and Antonio you don't have that kind of chemistry you get sort of neither of those two things and, and they don't quite do um, anything particularly effectively together um, so it's just a change in approach for how of how we press and he was very effective in in that department I think he stayed very close to Ndombele for, for, for most of the first half and, and massively reduced his his impact on the game, which was a crucial change from the first leg to second leg because Ndombele ran the game um, in, in the first leg and <laughs> wasn't able to have the same kind of impact the second time around, which massively, massively helped us. It definitely. I mean, I suppose he's, he, he, he got the goal in the first leg. Was this was he off at half-time? In, in yeah, came leg? off at half-time in the second leg, yeah. 
as as a, a bigger compliment, I suppose, as you can give to system and and manager and Lanzini as well in that regard. But we did start quite shakily, Callum. You, you, I mean, we could have been a goal down. I don't think we could have complained too much. Yeah, I think it was all for a Dawson block, was it? I think. I think that if if we're talking about the hour chance, which uh, had a something crazy like a 0.64 xG, I think I've got written down. And I think a big chance is generally considered to be anything above 0.25 or 0.3. So 0.64 is almost a dead cert. Uh, and and there was Dawson again to <laughs> throw his body on the line um, as as he often does. Um, and yeah, I think. It was a game as well, wasn't there? It can be hitting the post in the first five minutes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first, I think probably for me, the first 15 definitely were tense, but we did also have chances that we could have put away as well. I think there was a couple of crosses into the box that we didn't capitalise on. Um, But it looked very cagey. I think we sort of had come out of the first leg, obviously doing so well to keep us in the game with 10 men. And I think there probably was an air of caution going into the second leg of right we just got to hang in here for a bit get a feel for the game absorb a bit of pressure see how they're going to attack us this time round uh, now it's 11 v 11 and then once that sort of once we sort of understood uh, the way the game was going i think after that sustained pressure for the first 15 to 20 i think the blocks and the opportunities that they had probably galvanized the team and um that's then reflected in the pressing that we did throughout the game. Uh, I looked earlier at the passes per defensive action, uh, everybody's favourite segment of the podcast, uh, and the the change from the two legs was uh, was drastic. Obviously, it's difficult to compare because of the ten uh, man, eleven man situation. Um, but throughout the mid, well, I'll call it the mid game, but I'm talking from the fifteenth minute until the last fifteen minutes of the game in the first leg I think we allowed 26 passes um before we sparked a defensive action and then that went down by 13 in in the second leg um throughout again that middle section of the game so just we're not affording them well pretty much exactly half the amount of time on the ball given the the drop-off and that the fact we were able to maintain that doubly intense press throughout such a uh, long portion of the game. Usually you'd expect to see peaks and troughs, but this was a fairly consistent level of pressing. Um, I think was really remarkable and I guess sort of coincided with us getting that first goal, uh, motivated everyone to just go, right, come on, we're back in it. And then from then on, really, for me, we kind of had control of the game and, and we bossed it, in my opinion. We did. I mean, I, you, I, you kind of say when that goal went in, that seemed to be almost at the end of Leon's resistance. I mean, I, I know their their fans have complained about this team being weak, not just physically, but mentally. And you, you couldn't so much tell that last week, but this week, or I suppose in the second leg, they they didn't have any fight. They didn't seem to have the spirit in the camp. And they certainly, if there's one thing that this team, our team does, West Ham, is they are a collective rather than a group of individuals, Jack. And basically, we scored that first goal and dominated the game until we stepped off, really. Absolutely, I think I'm, I, I was um, shocked by how terribly they reacted to to all of the goals. Um, I thought the the reaction to the second goal coming out for the second half was abysmal. Um, they had an opportunity to to come out and and sort of change the game in the second half and assert themselves, and they didn't do that at all. And to allow the third goal so early into the in the in the second half, and for it to be so poor defensively, um, kind of was very indicative of of 
how they approach games mentally. But I think really, I mean, you see the kind of individualistic nature of how to approach being 2-0 down is that they sort of threw lots forward um, and didn't really uh, put the same amount of effort into recovery. And they, they, they often leave themselves exposed at the back, but I'm talking about when the ball turns over, players just walking back towards the halfway line, not even trying, not making an effort to, to recover in. And you see that at the start of the second half, which is just a, totally the wrong way to approach being 2-0 down. It's not leave everyone forward and attack, 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 attack. It's You kind of have to put effort into winning all of those second balls and try and keep and sustain pressure. And for a team that plays that style, sustaining pressure is so important. And that's how they were so effective in the first leg without scoring sustaining the pressure and stopping us from being able to get out enough mm. was was why they were so effective in that first leg and it didn't you didn't see the same kind of thing at all in the second leg from Leon so I think yeah mental fragility was a big part of the game but then I think you commented earlier on 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 how we sought to counter-attack and I think for in the first leg and you're talking about long balls and I think we used Antonio a lot in the first leg as the player who was going to get in behind the defense whereas I think in the second leg a lot more we used Antonio as a pivot and drew him a little bit uh, deeper to draw the centre-backs out and then used Fornals and Bowen to really attack the space in behind. And that allowed Antonio to do what he's been best at really over the course of the last four or five months, where he's not been as effective as, as we know he can be at getting in behind himself and scoring goals himself, but where he has been really, really effective at receiving the ball and playing others into positive positions. And he did that brilliantly throughout the game in the second leg. And it was a slight tweak to how he played and definitely Lanzini's inclusion helps that uh, because you've got someone who's going to play really quickly when the ball does drop into them um, but also Fornals on, on that left side was brilliant at getting up and down and in the second half just a, an exceptional performance in the second half from Pablo Fornals I do love Pablo Fornals <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I, I do want to point out before kind of going on that if, if you can watch those two games and, and decide that you don't rate Antonio then i I, I don't think I can talk to you about football. Um, I mean, I don't think we get through without him. But if we go on to the goals, and I think going through the goals individually will, will help us to kind of highlight a few individual performances as well and things like that. As credit, credit, Cal. I think it was you would tweet the day before or the day off or at, least at that point saying targeting the near post from corners. And I mean, it was pretty easy if you target the near post. Yeah, that was it. I think before the game in our in a preview that we did, I went through and watched pretty much every goal that Leon had conceded this season. Um, absolutely sicko mode there. Uh, but yeah, uh, and I think from memory they'd conceded eight goals from the near post uh from corners so i think that that was an obvious one especially i mean even if we didn't have someone like dawson in our in our ranks i'd still be looking to target it because they're just so weak there but when you have someone like dawson whose bread and butter is attacking the near post i mean we've talked before about not flogging dead horses on this but that was not (laughs) that i would have flogged that all game long because eventually (laughs) it was gonna happen and, and it did yeah, um, and it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really anything particularly special. It wasn't fizzed. It was just a curled ball at the near post. And it's terrible goalkeeping, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Pomerzbeck oh, is well. it's just awful goalkeeping. <laughs> you, I think you could argue oh, nearly everything about the goals was had a little bit of terrible goalkeeping. Yeah, um, harsh possibly on the second, but the second's another one that's really really important because the second highlights Ben Johnson, who's had an interesting couple of games switching back and forth. But he switched to the left, and those fullbacks were key, and we've. You've mentioned so foul getting forward, but Johnson's desire to get forward and possibly the team's desire to keep getting forward rather than sitting on that one goal as well. They seemed braver after the goal, but Johnson's run in particular and the movement forward was really the big, big key from that one, Jack. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really impressive to see a young fullback, A, reading um, the clearance and stepping into central midfield, having the confidence to do that, not just dropping off with the back four, um, being protective, reading it, stepping in front, winning the ball, but then also transitioning really quickly to have the presence of mind to say, I'm going to play the most threatening pass and then I'm going to run beyond my pass as well. Um, shows a lot of confidence and and actually shows a lot of um, awareness of the kind of game we were playing at that, that, at that point and the, and the opposition and how soft they are on transition. Um, and he just individually exploited it brilliantly. Um, and then I've ground control to the Leon midfield because I've got no idea where they were when the ball comes out on the edge of the box to Declan Rice. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of great highlight of a lot of things they did wrong. Not only did just one single runner who wasn't the runner they thought it was going to be seemed to mean the whole left side was opened up. But they all just, I suppose it's possibly a problem when you've got maybe a four or five in the middle who are lovely ball players, but they're kind of known for being lovely ball players and not defensively diligent. Cause, well, it's what, it's what I said pre, pre the whole tie about um, Ndombele playing in defensive midfield. Yes, if you let him get on the ball and dictate the tempo, he's brilliant. But if you force him to be a defensive midfielder, he's rubbish. And that's why he got pulled off at half time because he's just dropped into the box, marking absolutely no one on that attack. And then he, he's left the whole edge of the box completely free so that he's got no time to then get back out and, and make any kind of block. Um, so it's, and it's that thing. I, I mean, I thought, like you say, with all those sort of lovely ball carriers, I thought we'd really dominate them in that area in the first leg. And I was really disappointed that we didn't dominate them in that area in the first leg. I didn't think Rice and Suchet were particularly brilliant in the first game, but massively stepped up in this game and much more aggressive. And that was crucial for the second goal, but crucial throughout the game. It was. It was the, the aggression. In fact, the only time when that aggression dropped, eventually when the substitution were made off, you noticed that the substitutes came on and were pushing forward. We basically played Mark Noble up front yeah europeans european leg quarterfinal which was i mean it's lovely to see but he did he did kind of demanded at least he kind of came on and demanded everyone push that little bit more and bring the energy and not just sit on it so that was a very very good use of a sub i mean the we'll go back to those subs in a little bit i don't really understand the third goal in general it's a great pass what the fuck are you doing in your defence if you're just going to be an Edward <laughs> scorer, just standing on his own? He doesn't, I mean, it's just, you can understand that pro- the trouble at the end of the game. You think they're all just going, yeah, but I know we can't throw stuff on the pitch, but why is their top scorer? I mean, they all, I, mean I get it. I get it. I think I'd protest. Um, but, you know, I suppose credit to Ford hours for the pass and, and Bowen for the finish. There's not much else to say on that, Cal. There you go. No, no, that was it. I mean, like we said earlier, I think the... It's just bonkers that they went in at half time and came out and defended like that. Like at two nil down, you're still in the tie, really, especially with the amount of attacking talent that Leon have. So you'd think just a few little shifts, like just maybe don't commit so many men forward all the time so that you won't concede that goal and you still remain in it. But as soon as that third one goes in, there's you've got no hope really. And especially when it's such a bad goal to concede, because your head's likely going to drop and the crowd are going to be on your back so there's all the sort of external factors that you need to sort of drag you back into a game have disappeared so yeah just fuming I would have been they they look like it kind of defend like a team at that point look like the kind of team you'd think that's why they're getting relegated but they're in kind of mid-table in the French league I suppose being mid-table in the French league is is quite a disappointment for them that's because they've got exceptional individuals isn't it as a team it it doesn't function I'm sorry it just doesn't even when they were dominant against 10 men they couldn't create anything 
So I, mm-hmm. I, that doesn't work at all. And it, I mean, it reminded me of being like 14 playing FIFA Ultimate Team and being a couple of goals up at half time and the other person just going like, fuck it, I'm going to go ultra attacking, send everyone <laughs> yeah. forward. It's like, yeah. what are you doing? I oh, trust me, that third goal reminded me of FIFA Ultimate Team when the person just pissed off and stopped playing because he couldn't <laughs> win. And I to me, ah, fuck it. I, <laughs> think, I think it's interesting actually that I saw uh, so not not technically West Ham related, but I suppose it links to the sort of how far you can get on individual brilliance is that Bosch is one of the names being linked to a place Ten Hag at Ajax, which kind of fits in the sense that he can get away with that in the Eredivisie because he could just play this crazy attacking brand of football, knowing that there's no opposition really in that league, bar maybe one or two teams that are going to be able to get the better of them. And if they beat everyone else, then they win the league. And yeah, I think it makes perfect sense for them, really. Except for the part where he has done really, really badly with Leon this season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's, there's He's not going to need up, to defend. There's failing upwards. And I mean, failing upwards in management in England in particular. I mean, Phil Neville was on the, the youth run of that thing, but that is failing upwards, <laughs> isn't it? Getting, getting that job. Um, I suppose we should talk about this, the second half then when it felt very, very easy. And I, I assume a lot of people were kind of switched off almost from anything we were doing wrong or anything that was going on in the game because we were probably going to win even at 3-0, Jack. But though changes that did eventually have an influence probably should have come a little bit sooner. Yeah, I think we lost control of the game just after the hour mark or, or maybe just before, about 55, 60 minutes, we just started to lose control of the game. <laughs> we lost a lot of energy in that mid-block. Um, Bowen, I think, was really struggling. Antonio was really struggling. Lanzini had completely dropped out of the game. Um and I think at that point, we really could have made changes. I think uh, both Bowen and Lanzini particularly could have come off on about an hour in, really. Um, and Noble, Yarmolenko, whoever, Ben Rama, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's just about having legs and, and having that coached idea of how to press really intensely in that middle area of the pitch and to deny them the space to turn in midfield. That's all we really needed. And, and we just started to drop off. And I think... We were a little bit fortunate that we didn't concede in that period because if we had conceded 55 to 65 and it, um, they'd made it 3-1 then, then potentially the nerves in the team could have affected that last 25 minutes. Um, thankfully, we didn't. And then the changes did come. And once the changes came, we got complete control back when Noble came onto the pitch. I think that massively changed the game. Um, but yeah, a little bit disappointing that it took so long because it was a... Yeah probably about 10 or 12 minutes where it was very obvious that we'd run out of energy um, and that we needed legs in there. And it took a little bit too long for that change to be made. It, it, it's something we've talked about, isn't it? It's, 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 it's almost a preference of trust over energy or trust mm. over kind of fitness levels. In there. Just, and you can see that Moyes was never going to take off, say, Declan Rice, even though yeah. uh, you wouldn't have to, even though I tell you, just, just can't take that risk in his head, I don't think. Mm. I suppose it's even more frustrating in the sense that now that at that point in the game, we're pretty much through, which means that you need to preserve legs even more than you had to before the game because you've now got an extra two fixtures to schedule for. So you sort of, when the game's done, you, I would be taking off those players because we're going to need them further down the line. And, and you can trust, I mean, Obviously, if it's a close game and you're trusting someone on to come and win it, that's a bit different from trusting someone to go on and defend a three 0 lead. Like I would, I would trust pretty much everyone on that bench to go on and do that. Yeah, it it, it is a slight worry. Um, I'd be one one emotional report. I gave Mark Noble a ten out of ten just for being Mark Noble playing in a, in a quarter final. <laughs> I wonder who that was. Yeah, I did, I did, I did. And, um, for those of you who read the match reports, I did say to Graham, "You can't make me do these when I'm emotional because it's just, <laughs> like, just going to be tears just on a page." Um, two young fullbacks quickly discussed. I mean, it's, it's interesting looking at our fullbacks. I thought 
so far had a has had a really quite imp- mildly impressive, let's say, return to the team without looking like he's missed a step. Um, you pinpointed is it Malo Gusto? Yes, it's having on their on their so I, you, you you're both looking at transfers long term as well. I mean, does he look defensively good enough? Was my worry. I mean, in a team like Leon, it's hard to judge i guess <laughs> i think it's almost impossible to judge him defensively yeah. because he's asked to commit so high up the pitch um he did make the error for the goal in the first game um but his performance aside from that was pretty exceptional in the first match and then again i think in the second leg he was probably their best player um and i've read um because i've read the reports from their most recent game in league where they beat bordeaux 6-1 i think that he was brilliant in that game as well, man of the match performance. Um, and a lot has been said about him throughout the season that he's had a really, really good um, performance as an individual player throughout this this season. I think you could see that um, in the two games against us. So he looks like a really, really talented player. And to to show it in a Europa League quarterfinal as such a young uh, player is very impressive. Is, is he one for your keep an eye on list, Cal? He is actually on my watch list for right backs. Uh, if you, although to be fair, the length of these watch lists that I have, if you could see them, I think you'd be hard pressed to find. <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to find a right back under the age of twenty-one. I'm not keeping a regular tabs on. Um, only eighteen. I mean, to be fair, that is very yeah. impressive to be playing in a defence. Yeah, no, he's. Gone, Look, you're going to defend by yourself, mate. So <laughs> I think it's weird because it's like he's kind of the opposite of what I'd want. Johnson's development to look like, if that makes sense. Like, if I was, if I had Malagusto, his attacking output is unquestionably good, but defensively is what I'd want to see him sort of sure up on. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, that was obviously, like we've already said, his, his defensive attributes and um, performances are slightly marred by the fact that he's being asked to go and do what he's doing on the pitch. Um, but he's kind of like a winger playing at right back at the minute. He's got like two and a half progressive runs, 50% cross completion rate, 50% dribble rate, which is kind of numbers you'd expect from a winger, but then only 58% defensive dual success, which for me as a fullback, I'd, I'd, I'd expect my fullback to have a lot more than that. Whereas Johnson defensively is pretty solid, but attacking wise, there's still very much question marks. Um, merge the two and maybe we'd have a, Dreaming right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting on Johnson. He's all. It feels slightly at times like he's a different player depending on what flank he's on. That that burst and cross down the left, I don't feel like he does on the right. Yet he's a right-footed player and he's a right back. It. I mean, what? I, I don't really. I don't know how to. I don't know how to phrase the question because I'm so confused by how that happens, Jack. I don't. Well, he's a right-footed really player it. that seems to strike the ball much better with his left foot. Yeah. yeah. Which I just don't understand. But uh, his crossing is much better off of his left peg. He scored when he mm. cut inside onto his left peg from the right mm. flank. Um, so for me, and, and I think defensively he's pretty secure on the left side as well. I think for me, he generally always seems to look better as a left back than a right back. Would you, would you play him as our left back next season? No, I wouldn't. No. no. Would you be looking to develop him down the right still? Yeah. For, for, for me, I think he's not... I think he's a good player and I think he's got a, a decent ceiling and I think he'll be a Premier League player. But I don't see him as good enough to take on either the right-back or left-back role as a first-team in next season. For me, he's still a backup player that can play on either side. And I think we need to invest in a, in a new left-back. And if yeah. Sufal can continue... Um, where he's at right now, um, playing yeah. without pain again. I think Sufal could go back to being quite a 
um, a good right back for us. Um, so I think it's more looking at a long-term replacement for Cresswell um, at left back to partner um, Sufal for next season. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And the thank, I guess the timeline's kind of work in Johnson's favour in the sense that the timeline for replacing a left back is a lot shorter than the timeline for replacing a right back, given that Sufal's that bit younger. So that kind of affords Johnson the time to develop over the next couple of seasons as a backup. And then when Sufal reaches Cresswell's age, uh, assuming he stays here for that a length of time, Johnson will hopefully have developed to the point where he can then step in and become the first choice right back in two or three seasons time, perhaps. Um, but yeah, with regards to the why he's better on the left, I really, I've been racking my brains about it. And the the only thing I could think of is kind of links back to something we'd mentioned before about Johnson's sort of uh, like mental approach to when he gets to the final third, he kind of tends to overthink things and think of it too much. So I wonder if when the ball's on his left foot, he kind of knows that it's not his favoured foot. So he just hits it first time. And because he doesn't have the time to overthink like, oh, like taking too many touches or, or, and then putting in an overhit right footed cross, he just whacks it in. And I mean, every time you hit a ball first time, you get, more fizz on it anyway I tend to find because of the pace of the ball that's arriving at your foot um, so I think maybe that could have something to do it, but that's really why, it's just clutching at straws <laughs> that's why I take on it it's almost that he, he just he hits it. I think he hits a ball harder I think he just goes to hit it harder because it's your left foot yeah. you just it's a bit of a swinger um, and you're just used it's to it's just more instinctive isn't it and I think the talent is there but mm. I think maybe he his talent diminishes when he sort of thinks for longer and he just needs to back himself and because he clearly has got the talent it's just sort of getting to that mental state but if there's anyone to to sort of get that out of a player it's probably the coaching staff we've got at the minute we've seen how well they've been able to develop the likes of Dawson in particular so if anyone's going to give you a more positive outlook on yourself and develop you it's probably those lot so and that's that's probably where I want to end Leon on really as a quick mention of how good Craig Dawson was over both legs, really. He's had a, a fantastic spell in the team. He's, I think, probably going to end up pushing for Hammer of the Year, which... He's going to win it on recency bias, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's going to win it on recency gone... bias because he wasn't that but, brilliant yeah. in the first half of the season. Um, he was solid, but he certainly wasn't one of the strongest performers in the team in the first half of the season. And then suddenly over the last two months, he's pretty much consistently been the best player most weeks he has he has recency bust but what he also has is lower sta- people have lower standards for him so his performance i mean declan rice should be hammer of the year it's not going to happen yes because you expect you expect this level of performance from him anyway whereas if craig dawson's hitting those level of performance it's like <laughs> yeah. and i think i mean bowen also has had kind of quieter spells but yet there's also i i guess it's kind of you want to love someone who you kind of doesn't seem to be very good but is also being very good it's hard not to love that story of that character yeah it's like xg over performance but like expected levels over performance <laughs> like the level of performance you expect for Dawson he is way overperforming it but yeah. the sort of differential between what we expect from Rice and what he does is, is way smaller yeah, exactly. um, but yeah he was incredible especially in that that second leg I thought I mean 12 interceptions is, is crazy uh, for someone playing in that position uh, and like as as is the case week in week out the the willingness to just throw his body in front of absolutely anything in that six yard box well 18 yard box really is is some something that you just is quite hard to find and i'm I'm happy to see him carry on uh, at the club whether posts i've seen a lot of chat on uh 
Twitter about whether he should be the starting uh, right centre back, which I'd just like to say, like Zuma is still here. Like next season, they're like Dawson starts. I was like, I don't know. I don't start Dawson and Zuma as my centre back partnership next year. I don't think. I don't know what you guys' takes on that are. I I, I trust that big part of being a manager is understanding the difference between a bo- a boon in form and the general ability of a player. Yeah. I I agree with what you're saying about Boone in form versus general ability of a player, but his passing over the last month defies what you would think his general True. ability actually is. It defies and many things. <laughs> if he, frankly, no, but frankly speaking, if he maintains yeah. that level of distribution, I can't really see why you'd want another oh, right centre half. No, no, but that's a lot of the thing that's really, to me, is really important about having those kind of squad players. Is it's like having Ben Rama. People are going where you either people are kind of want to get rid of him. So as part of the thing of having these squad players, yeah. is these players, if they pick up form, and they, I, d- I wouldn't also would prefer Zoom. Like I feel like Zuma at right centre back and a, and a more pressure resistant left centre back who also is progressive is preferable to. Zuma at left centre back and Dawson at right centre back. I appreciate his distribution has definitely improved, but largely it's long balls, and I've not really been won over by his short distribution yet. And the thing also, is, is, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that at the moment because I've just I've just been doing the rewatch for Burnley, and he's the player who's picking out line breaking passes through the middle of the pitch along the deck, which he's done. I, he's done a it's not really. Him. This is what I'm saying. I've not seen him do this kind of thing before. It's something that we talk, started talking about probably about two and a half months ago on, on the pod. First time I think I remember mentioning it is saying, what's going on with Dawson? Why is he making line-breaking passes? I've never seen him mm. do that before. And we sort of laughed it off as a bit of a joke, as yeah. in like maybe it's just happened for 90 minutes. But he's been doing it pretty consistently now. I know it's mostly long balls. It's probably 80% long balls. But the short passes are creeping in and increasing in volume week on week. So I, I, I would agree with you generally and say, look, I'd rather have Zuma and Zuma, you know, someone mm. on that level next to, to Zuma. But at the moment, Dawson is on that level and has been maintaining yeah. that level for quite a long period now. Um, so I think he, I don't, at the moment, for me, he's undroppable because he's the best player in the team at the moment. I, yeah, fair. I, I, my, my, my feeling of squad building is you would have to plan for him going back to what you deem. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I, I think you still have to that. sign a centre-back in the summer because if he does drop, then we're left with, we're back to square one. Oh, Christ, Complete, he plays, I can, he plays I agree agree with for that. the rest of his career. He's, he's there. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, if he does drop, then we're, then we're screwed. But I guess given how much of a rebuild is going to be on the cards in the summer, just in terms of how many positions we need to bring in, in terms of depth and stuff. I suppose centre-backs dropped down the pecking order a bit. I think for me, left centre-back was probably top three, maybe top two going into the summer. But I suppose now you're looking at... (laughs) For me, left centre-back is still right at the top of the list. It's not... What I'm saying is not don't recruit in that position. Mm. I absolutely recruit in that position. Sell Diop in the summer and recruit someone else because we don't... We, uh, we Diop has proven this season, yeah. although he's done really well in recent games, that he's not been trustworthy enough. He didn't do any yeah. kind of a good job against Kidderminster. That's a perfect example of where you can't... Uh, Crystal Palace is another example where you can't trust him to be consistently at the level 
And mm. for that reason, if there is an offer, I mean, there's all this talk of interest from Leon. If if there is an offer for him in the summer, he has to go yeah. uh, because he hasn't shown it on a consistent level with West Ham. And you have mm-hmm. to recruit a left centre back who is at the level to step into that partnership with Zuma. But if Dawson continues to play like he is, then I want Dawson and Zuma to start next season, and then, then the bloke who comes in to win the spot. Yeah, fair. I, I think even even Moyes let left Dawson in for the first game Zuma was here. I think he, he basically waited for him to make a mistake and got rid of him. That seems to be his way yeah. of doing it. I suspect that'll be his way of doing it going forward. Um, well, we got a lot out of Leon, obviously. No surprise. <laughs> Can the same be said for Burnley, though? No, um, <laughs> no let's fly through this. <laughs> and that is good night. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was it certainly wasn't as bad a game as Brentford. And I think it's very, very important. To, the, the very, very important difference is it wasn't uh, energy or a lack of trying that made it a draw. Whereas Brentford, we looked absolutely dead on our feet. You could see a team that could play five to eight more games, seven to eight more games this season and, and make it through without, you know, walking wounded and looking like they've been on the battlefield. Um, but it was frustrating, Cal. Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, it, yeah, I think following the Brentford game, it, it felt nicer to watch post-Leon than, than that Brentford game did after the Europa. But th- there was such a stark difference in terms of application. Um, everyone, like, no one seemed like they couldn't be asked, which really seemed apparent in the Brentford game. Um, but I think, harsh. Yeah, harsh. Yeah, yeah, well, That's not because harsh. they couldn't be asked, but as in they didn't have the energy in the tank to, to do what they wanted to do. Like very they were trying, thing. but they couldn't. Yeah, fair enough. They were trying, but they couldn't reach the levels that that they wanted to reach. Um, but against Burnley, I think we just yeah we played well, but there was just a few moments um, where we switched off and uh, just resulted in a fairly dull affair really and I, I, I honestly i don't have a great deal to add on this game i, th- I thought we were we it was it, we, we were all right we were entertaining enough we were frustrating but i've seen us play worse against those kind of defenses jack i've seen us definitely seen us have um just awful awful games against those kind of things it wasn't an awful awful game we 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 have uncovered the habit of how to raise nick pope's price by a few million every time we play them That's yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think I uh, I think we played all right, really. I think the setup was quite good. Um, I think we uh, created more than enough to win the game. Um, I think we were unfortunate not to score um, in the first half before Westwood's injury. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we had scored in that period, we, we could quite easily have run away with the game at that point because mm-hmm. there was a de- definitely a period between the sort of 10th minute and the 25th minute when Westwood got injured Burnley didn't really have any control over the game at all. And they were conceding chances every few minutes um, and good chances every few minutes, not half chances. Um, and Pope made a brilliant save. Tarkovsky cleared one off the line. And I think um, if, if we'd continued in that, in that way um, for the rest of the game, then uh, we would have been absolutely fine. I think it's just that the, the break massively affected the, the momentum of the game. And yeah, Really, if you look at what Burnley do well and when Burnley are up against it, what they do well particularly is throwing the ball into the box and causing havoc. Um, and we gave them an opportunity straight off the restart with a really cheap free kick to punt the ball into the box and send people forward. 
then we didn't clear our lines, give them another ch- opportunity from a corner, and then they score. And then that changed the momentum of the game up until half time, which seemed to go on for forever because there were, you know, nine minutes added on. Um, and that it will be a lot of people's lasting impression of the game. But then in the second half, I think we went back to creating quite a lot of chances, um, particularly in the period when uh, Vlasic came off, Ben Rama came on. I'm not really sure whether that was about Ben Rama's individual performance or a slight change in approach. Um, but definitely for the last 20, 25 minutes of the game, they were on the ropes. Um, and, and the fact that they got through uh, with a point, um, I think, is a, is a pretty good result for Burnley. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those, it's kind of a good result for them, especially with the, 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 oh, the kind of drama they've created for themselves by sacking Dyche within the week. They certainly didn't do anything uh, differently. Questions over Fabianski on the goal, Cal? Uh, yeah, just not uh, assertive enough for me. Um, I'd, I think we've questioned Mark, had questions over his uh, command of his area quite a lot throughout the season. And um, I think this was, for me, uh, seemed to be at fault for it. Um, but there was just, uh, it was a whole melee of craziness in that box. I think throughout the game, you could see that they were really targeting Fabianski, which I think doesn't really absolve him of responsibility. But I think we probably would have been smarter to offer Fabianski some protection. Uh, I'm I'm always kind of of the opinion that if we can watch the game and see that it's needed, I I think that something should probably be done about it within the game. Um, Whether that's like, I don't know, putting a player between the Burnley man and Fabianski to make sure that Fabianski can kind of move freely uh, rather than be bodied. Um, But yeah, I think just it it was disappointing, um, but I don't think he's solely to blame. And it's certainly, you certainly can't be happy if Jay Rodriguez ends up getting basically a free header in a six-yard box, Jack. No, I, I, I think a um, couple of things on this. I think it, it's being made out to be simpler than it is to get a message on from the coaching staff to the team about changing the entire setup of how you defend a set piece in the middle of a game. Yeah. I don't think that's <laughs> as simple um, as it's being made out. No, you've, you've seen them get those the, cal- the calendar out It's quite, uh, you know, if you spend the week working on it uh, mm. and once people have worked out how they're going to defend a set piece, that's how they're going to defend a set piece. So changing that isn't necessarily an easy thing to achieve. It, while, while you're there, is that one of those things where you think he's a job? Not quite, he doesn't seem to me like he's a commanding centre-back, not just in the way he plays, where he obviously isn't quite commanding, but I don't see him as being a, right, I'm going to go sort out that problem in front of the goalkeeper. Whereas I think possibly... Ogba, I don't think he has no, the authority to I do think, that. In I, the don't team think either. Oh, the I don't think no, that's No, but do you know what I mean? Do you think there's a lack of... I'm not. That's unfair to him because I don't think Craig Dawson's actually that character in our team either at the moment. Do you think we lack... Is that where you lack a leader at the back? I think Ogbonna is someone who probably is involved in suddenly going, well, this isn't working. We need to do something different. I'm not sure so, any of ours are. Potentially, but I, I actually think a lot of, of that period of the game was just that there'd been this massive break in play and I don't think we were particularly switched on. I don't think anyone mm. was particularly switched on. So I think it was sort of going, we looked like we were sort of going through the motions. Um, even even the free, I mean, the free kick is so unbelievably soft that's given against Lanzini and no one complains about it. <laughs> and the fact that no one complains about it, it's not that I expect us to, to be going mental at the it's ref. It's just that kind of, oh, whatever. And then everyone just drops back into the box. Yeah. Um, 
and you wouldn't usually see that in in you know in the middle of a, of a chaotic first half at all you know people would be complaining or focusing talking to each other none of that at all mm. um i think that just dictated the way we defended the corner so people standing in their zones but not really like paying attention to anything at all um, a little bit but, of bad luck as well not not always will a, a ball hit the bar loop up down and then well, drop that's exactly the coolest, what i was just gonna say mad on the pitch yeah that's, that's exactly terrible. what i was just gonna say i think two things you have to compliment the, the ball. The ball into the box is perfect. It drops right between the two centre-back zones, right in front mm. of Fabianski. It's perfect delivery. Um, so that's the first header. He should score the first header. Um, and then they're incredibly lucky that it bounces off the bar and it falls perfectly in the wake of his life. <laughs> the one person that you want. <laughs> lever himself up, be four inches higher than anyone else in the air and then just nod the ball into the goal. Um, so yeah, and then on Fabianski, just briefly, I think, the thing that was most frustrating about that is that it's so easy to win a free kick as a keeper mm. in, in those situations. Yeah. It's so easy to buy a free kick. You just charge into the back of the player and then fall over. Yeah. And you instantly win a free kick 10 times out of 10. Whether it's you not, should or not. It's not, <laughs> no, it's not the only time a little bit of innocent naivety has cost us in that game. Yeah. Um, at all mm. uh, this season as well. And we don't do things. Um, we just don't. We don't do those things. Really. Can you imagine? But can you imagine Casper Schmeichel in that situation? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. He wouldn't shut up about it for five minutes. He'd be over to the fourth oh. official, screaming. You know, like, he's always he's doing that. Absolutely arm. mental about he it. He makes a great save, like, and he's complaining about his arm. I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think what you're saying about the naivety is a little bit frustrating. It's just make a meal of it. It's simple as. I was going to say, in terms of the setup as well, like. Uh, could Fabianski not ask for someone to come in between exactly. him and the... Yeah. Like, it's his responsibility. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I can't remember the exact setup and who was in the box and whatnot, but I would imagine that there would have been a spare man outside the box that he could maybe have just said, like, look, come in here, just stand in between me and him. Like, that isn't really so integral to the setup of zonal marking and stuff like that. Surely it's it's on him for not recognising that he needed that protection and asking for it. Like if there is one player on the pitch that should be able to override the sort of setup in that situation, it is Fabianski. Yeah. I th- I, yeah, I, um, yeah we, we also let it all happen. I think the movement was too easy. Other teams would block us a bit better than we did. I think it was, That's I, I mean. think you're right though, Jack. I think it's just intensity. I think it's yeah. just dreamlands, either that or slightly perturbed by what they'd seen, slightly perturbed by the fact they've had to mm. console Vlasic so much. And obviously, best wishes with Westwood and credit to those Burnley players. I think I tweeted at the time they, they were good with Vlasic and they yeah, yeah. could have been they could have been dickheads basically and they ha- and I don't think you would have complained too much if they had been but actually they are they show that their kind of rough style that they play is game rather than being mm-hmm. for a reason yeah. which is it's kind of good and you can kind of take that. Um it doesn't really excuse the penalty and what went before that which was should have been a second goal was sloppy from Johnson in particular we've just discussed who does the, the weirdest choice he makes for that last man clearance inside the Burnley half yeah one of the weirdest bits of defending I've seen all season from anyone um if you're if you're the last man after a team clears a corner the last thing you want to do is just cushion the ball into their on on rushing entire midfield so such an odd thing to do just clear it or if you can't, if you, if you really think you've got the ability, the time to, to play into a teammate and play backwards to your teammates who are dropping behind you, Lanzini's dropped behind you so that he's got the time to then receive the ball, especially if you're not going to be able to play it perfectly into him. But he just cushions it straight back into midfield. Um, and then it's a really simple ball 
over the top. And then on the penalty, I've seen it hundreds of times. I think I've watched it hundreds of times. I, I think it's a bad tackle. He's nowhere near the ball. I've got absolutely no evidence of him touching Cornet on any of the replays. I, from what I saw, and I did, I saw, I saw you tweeted that at the end, so I did go and watch it. And I, I, the angle I watch, his foot, and Cornet stands on him. I think that means he's obstructed him and stopped him standing and takes him down. And as far as I, the bit I looked, it looked like you could quite clearly see Cornet stands on the leg going down and thus can't stand, thus can't push off, which means he falls. So yeah, to me, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy with that. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> it's done. I mean, you have to watch. You have to watch it again because I only watched what you posted. So it'd be interesting either way. Um, but no, I think really got, the only contact I can see is yeah. the back of his yeah. foot catch Fabianski's yeah. ankle when he's trying to step yeah. down. My, my, yeah, I, I will agree with you though. I was baffled. I was baffled at the time. It was such a bad challenge that I almost thought he must not have caught him because it was so not near the ball. And then I watched it again and because I don't know what he's doing. Really, yeah, yeah. he just seems to. It's like he's well. Why hasn't he just run into me? I've, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's it's odd. It's a t- it's a really odd penalty. And then and then it was it continued to be a really really odd penalty when he did the technique and he sat Fabianski down and Fabianski went to another corner and then he just passed it wide. <laughs> so, it's so weird because he does everything right in terms of the dummying penalty. Fabianski's gone completely. And then all he has to do is just pass the ball into the net and he tries to smash it into the corner. <laughs> you didn't need to do that. You've done the dummy. Now you've just got to pass it in. How, how? It would have almost looked cooler if he did roll it as well. Do you know, like it just kind of adds to the I've just mugged you off rather than then levering it. He's mugged himself off. Is it, um, are you a, is it still the rules that you're not allowed to stop so it has to be considered a fluid motion? I think you're not allowed to stop as you strike the ball. You're allowed to stop before you strike the ball. Uh, okay, because I've seen someone point out the ref points to him. Just, but I'm, and they think that means it would have been retaken, but it didn't matter because it went wide, which is a, but if, if, if you're allowed to stop in the run up, then it doesn't really matter because he's, I'm pretty certain the rule is still that you're allowed to stop in the run up. You're not allowed to stop on final stride. You're not allowed to dummy as you get to the, if your foot is behind the ball, if your standing foot is behind the ball, you're not allowed to stop then. But he stops well before that. He stops halfway through his run up. It's not the most interesting point, but whilst it was on my brain, I want you to kind of remember it. Um, you you were positive about the setup, and you you mentioned this is kind of in the production meeting uh, that we had. Oh my god, you make it sound so fancy! I know <laughs> you said fancy, like I say fancy. Then we should not done before either. <laughs> you sounded as fancy as I sometimes do. Um, yeah, but when, when we talked beforehand, and you you wanted to you wanted to bring up the positives of the setup. Why was that? I mean, what were the particular things that you stuck with you, and why would why would that that you want to bring them up? reason I want to comment on it is because there's been a lot of complaints this season, quite rightly, about our challenges in breaking a, a low block down. I, I don't think we can just circle back round to that here and complain about that. We created more than enough. The setup was good for creating opportunities. Our finishing was not good. And actually, even beyond the finishing, actually just converting good situations into good chances was really poor um, as well for lots of the game. Um, but we set up really well to break them down. It's, we, we moved the front three much more narrow than we usually do, played them much closer together. That drew Burnley, who already want to play really narrow, even narrower than usual. And we committed both fullbacks really high up the pitch, dropped Lanzini in and put Suchek in, in between that front three and the midfield. Um, and that meant that they focused on Suchek, gave Rice Lanzini time to distribute to the fullbacks in wide areas or to play through the lines. And then for Antonio, Bowen or Vlasic to drop the ball back into Suchek and then for Suchek to fire a ball wide, which he did really well. 
um, throughout the game. Um, and Johnson and Cresswell got free um, on both flanks so many times with time to cross. Um, and the crossing wasn't brilliant throughout. I think some of the, the best chances we created from crosses were actually overhit crosses that went to the other fullback um, yeah. with a chance to shoot. So the crossing was really underwhelming um, for long parts of the game. Uh, but the setup in terms of getting round Burnley's midfield and being able to attack and expose back four was, was fine. It worked really well. Do you think that explains Vlasic playing and Vlasic being on the left, that we were narrowing them in, so it wasn't about him being a wide player? Well, he definitely didn't play as a wide player. He played as a, as a sort of inside forward, playing quite close to Antonio, um, and did very well in the first half at um, receiving the ball in that space, carrying, winning free kicks, um, and then also making runs, uh, diagonal runs between the centre-back and uh, the right-back um, to get in behind on that on that left-hand side when Cresswell needed an out ball. Um, I think he had a, a pretty solid first-half performance. I think both of them did. Bowen and Vlasic had pretty solid first-half performances. Um, the players that were really underwhelming were Lanzini and Antonio. Lanzini could have done a lot more uh, with the space that he had in the game, uh, could have offered a lot more in terms of line-breaking passes um, and should have offered something in the final third because uh, he didn't offer anything in the final third. Um, and Antonio uh, just made some really poor decisions, some really strange decisions. Um, I've only watched the first half back, so I'm going to watch the second half after we finish the podcast. But um, in the first half, there's one situation where we have broken through the midfield. It's brilliant work from um, from Bowen, uh, from Dawson to play the through pass and then Bowen uh, and Suchek combined really well. Yeah. And Cresswell is away down the left side and you've got three or four runners to hit the box. It's a great opportunity. And Antonio receives rather than passing, tries to dribble infield into trouble and then shoots from 30 yards. That's just bemusing because you can see what's bemusing about it is you can see the setup has been coached in the days leading up to the game about getting the fullbacks free. So he's got no excuse. He Mm. should know in that situation the space is going to be with the fullback. So to dribble into the centre of the pitch and shoot from 30 yards is just inexcusable. It's, it's where I was going to go next, and he's the one that stood out for me. I mean, it's a difficult question in a way, Cal, because I'm kind of asking you to pause it on something you have no clue of. But did he look to you like a man who knows he hasn't scored goals recently? Yeah, yeah I think he was... Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say snatching at his chances in the sense that that kind of sounds like he was... Uh, getting in great positions and just slightly missing a bit. But I, I don't think it was quite that. It was that he was trying to almost force a situation where he might score rather than acting on instinct. And like Jack's saying, like rightly laying it off rather than shooting. He was, he looked like a man, like you say, that that knew it's been months since he scored and, and was desperate to get on the score sheet and was just trying his hardest to score but sometimes trying hard isn't the right thing to do in that context if that makes sense like obviously trying hard is always the right thing to do but forcing stuff is not especially when we seem to be playing quite a fluid build-up um and we're in control is it was just yeah disappointing and I understand that he must be really frustrated but it's great wanting to get on the score sheet but when it's at the detriment of your team and your teammates and your attack on mass it becomes a problem it's, it's interesting with Antonio. It's almost, you feel like you need to remind him that it doesn't matter who scores as long as we win. 
I think yeah. he knows that. I think he played I, brilliantly uh, in the yeah. Lyon game doing yeah, exactly. that. And I think even in this game, he did some great work down down the flank. He, he played one brilliant cross in, in the first half um, that Suchet couldn't get on the end of because Loton did really well to head it over the, mm. the bar. Um, there were there were some really good moments in the game. I'm not. I'm I'm using one moment to describe an issue that he had that was strange that I can't excuse yes, yes, from yes. from a tactical p- uh, point of view. He should be making different decisions, but I don't think you can you can extrapolate that to make a point about his general approach to the game. I don't think that's quite fair I it's think, slightly harsh the way i i framed it to be yeah i think i think i mean there was a i mean for a good example really for me is there's a um there's a moment in the first half where the ball is played across by bowen it's it's brilliant work from him he wins the ball high up the pitch and then uh, takes it on the right flank and cuts it back across to antonio antonio does it amazingly to turn first time to free up the shot with his left foot mm. and it's just fantastic defending from Nathan Collins, who gets a foot in before he can take the shot, which sends it cannoning yeah. over the bar. And I think sometimes it can be quite easy to look at. And his individual performance wasn't good in this game. It was average, but it wasn't terrible. And I think sometimes it's quite important to look at the opponents he's up against and say, there's been times where this has happened before this season, by mm. the way. Man United was a game where it happened, Maguire. where he was massively criticised after the Man United game but Harry Maguire had his best individual performance of the season up to that point and if you went on any of the Man United blogs or Man United pages everyone was talking and they hate Harry Maguire and they were all talking about how well Harry Maguire played and I think it's sometimes important to say that someone on the other team has done a really really good job and a couple of instances where Collins did really well Tarkovsky always does really really well last line defending so I think they did quite a good job as a back four unit defending on the very last line um, I think that's worth crediting rather than just pointing at Antonio and saying, should have scored a goal, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, it's just a, there's a couple in the second half, I think, in particular, but it just felt like s- some other times when he's in a groove, he maybe doesn't even think to do the shot. And Completely was, agree with that, though. Yeah. He's an interesting player, as, as well. It's almost the more he thinks, the kind of you, you do feel like he's, he does worse with that, which is a actually part of being a West Ham striker, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Carlton Cole, who was. Never a thinker, always a doer. Um, we will come back together and get you fully prepared for, well, so you know how to beat Frankfurt, even if we don't, um, ahead of no, time. we will know how to beat Frankfurt. And we yeah. will know how to beat Frankfurt. <laughs> and we will all know how to beat Frankfurt. And everyone will be happy and positivity and West Ham and wins. Um, until that time, <laughs> I should say good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show. James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons. <laughs>